Hey, it's great to be back with everybody this week. So glad to see you. If you have been traveling, we hope that you have enjoyed your time wherever it might have been. And if your travels have brought you here this morning, man, we are thankful to have, to have you being here. I appreciate so much for uh, Stephen and Sean being able to share with everyone over the last couple of weeks about the heart, the kingdom heart that we all should be having and the way in which we look to live our lives, not only here inside a building, but outside in the world. I appreciate so much the time that they put into preparing those messages and then sharing those with you. Um, glad to have Derek back with us. Your family was gone this last weekend as well. And Wesley, thanks for uh, taking care of our worship and leading that last week. We appreciate that. Uh, guys, this is a traveling time, and so everybody's going to be moving around, so please just be careful wherever it is that you're traveling to, uh, and then when you get back, man, we can't wait to see you when you walk back here on our campus or participate in any of the activities, the groups that we have, and we're so thankful again to be able to be together today to praise the one and only, the Holy God. It's why we are, it's why we're spending this summer talking about the sweet spot it's the joy of a promised land life as we're looking to, to live life with God and to live it to the fullest. You see, we're using this analogy of the sweet spot because there is a place in the bat, there's a place in that golf club, there's a place where when the ball strikes at just the right point, you can't even feel it. You can't even feel it. It's just so perfect. And, and the ball just flies off the bat. And, and it just goes and goes. You just watch it. And it's like, man, I can't believe that took place. And, and that analogy is used for a life that is well lived. It's talking about having your best days. It's all about being in the moment and experiencing life as it truly was meant to be experienced. And we've heard this sweet spot analogy used a lot in a lot of different forms in our life. But I wanted to apply it this summer to the idea of living with God because that should be the ultimate sweet spot when everything seems to be clicking even when things are all around us appear to perhaps be, to be falling apart. And for this particular study, we've been hanging out in the book of Joshua. If you'd like to go and find that in your Old Testament, we'll be there again, again today. It's in your Old Testament book of Joshua. Go ahead and be looking that up and we'll be walking through it in a few different few different places. And we're hanging out with Joshua because when you go and look at the children of Israel, those Hebrews, as they went into the land of promise, you realize that they had about seven years of sweet spot living. They had seven years when they had more marriages than funerals. There were, there were more healthy crops than bad. There, there, there was more times of peace than then war, it was this time where it seemed like everything was just unmitigated success. And in fact, their time was so sweet that there in Joshua's journal, he would write this in chapter 21. He said, so the Lord God gave Israel all the land that he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. It's a great passage where all the land is given to them. They have rest on every side. Every promise, everything that God had said would happen, happened. Now, I don't know where you are in your life. And I don't know how this summer has gone for you. I don't know if as we are 
coming out hopefully on the backside of the COVID pandemic, if, if things are beginning to open up for you and your life and things are beginning to feel more normal and you're beginning to have what you at least feel like is more success in your life, I don't know if you're beginning to move past some of the blasé feelings and some of the downcastness that you have had when you were stuck inside for over a year, but, but maybe you yourself have seen, you know what, I'm just not living in that sweet spot of life. I just feel like that there's something missing. Now, you might not have a Jordan River to cross, but you, you do need to get through this next week, right? Now, you don't have Canaanites to battle, but you are at war with loneliness, and there are people here who are at war with rejection and discouragement. And we have people who are part of our church family who struggle with, with just weighed down in doubt. But Joshua's journal dares us to believe that our best days with God are ahead. And that's what we want everybody to consider this summer. That guess what? Look, the best days that you have had with your father you have not experienced yet. And even if you look at your life right now and say, man, spiritually, I don't see how it could get any better for me. I want you to understand that there is always another level that you can rise to in your relationship with God. There is a promised land for us to enjoy. And it is something that's a spiritual reality. It's not a physical territory like the Israelites had, but it's a spiritual reality for us. So when we talk about this idea of living life in the promised land, we're talking about living where we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We're referring to a life in which we do not lose heart and a life in which the love of Christ controls us. It's a life where we see the different troubles that are around and we see the problems. We don't turn our back on them, but we look at them and say, you know what? I count it all joy. It's an opportunity to rejoice in this life that I'm living on behalf of the kingdom of God. A promised land life is one where we are anxious for nothing. Can you imagine that? A life where we are praying always. A life in which we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, living in Canaan, living in the promised land is defined by grace. It's a life where we forgive as, as quickly as we are offended. It's a life where we give as abundantly as we've received. It's a life where we delightfully serve out of an overflow of giftedness. Now look, in this life, when we're living in the sweet spot, there's still going to be stumbles and there's still going to be times where things do not go well, but we don't collapse. Canaan is where we, we joyful trust in God and we enjoy overflowing fruit and we grow in passionate faith. And, and, and even, though the, even though the old hymn might suggest that to Canaan's land we are on our way, Canaan is not a metaphor for heaven. You see, heaven will have no enemies, but in Canaan there were at least seven different hostile, hostile nations that the Hebrews had to face. In heaven, we're not going to have any battles, but Joshua and his men fought at least 31. In heaven, there are no struggles and there are no stumbles, but I guarantee you, already this weekend, you have dealt with some of those times of, of stumbling and struggling. The Hebrews themselves, they staggered and they fell, but their victories outnumbered their defeats. You see, Canaan then, it does not represent a life that is to come. Canaan represents the victorious life that we can live right now. But you need to understand something. Standing in your way of this, of this promised land life, of living in the sweet spot, is Jericho. Now Jericho, or a version of it, had stood for over 5,000 years. 
And by Joshua's day, more than two dozen different cities had already been built and destroyed on the site, just one above the other. And as Joshua stood staring there across the plain of Canaan, he could see looming these 40-foot double walls off in the distance. And inside, there was a ferocious and barbaric people who were known for their paganism and their child sacrifice. But God had promised the Hebrews a place of rest. But before they could enjoy that rest, they had, they had to face Jericho. Now look, your Jericho is any attitude or mindset that keeps you from joy, peace, and rest. It stands between you and your sweet spot. Now, off in the distance, the shadow of your Jericho looms, and it, and it, it covers every decision that you make. It mocks you, and it tells you that you better, might as well just take your dreams all back to the wilderness. You might as well just, just keep on walking because you're not going to find your sweet spot here. For some of you, your Jericho is fear. Your Jericho is anger. Your Jericho is bitterness. Your Jericho is suspicion. Your Jericho is prejudice. Your Jericho is your insecurity about your future, and it's your, your guilt about your past. Understand, your Jericho is big, and your Jericho is evil, and your Jericho blocks your way, and the walls of your Jericho must come down. You see, to live in the promised land, you have to face your Jericho. There's no getting around it. So before you go marching off this week in spiritual battle, what I want us to do is, is just spend just a little bit of time looking at one of the strangest encounters that ever happened in Scripture. Now, you're already in Joshua. Go ahead and find chapter 5. All right, pull up chapter 5, and, and I want you to look at the end of that chapter. You see, like any good military strategist, Joshua felt it prudent to go and conduct a pre-battle reconnaissance. He had already sent spies into Jericho and found out that word about the Hebrews had spread and the inhabitants living behind those walls, man, they were shaking in their sandals because of what God had done to the Hebrews. Inside, the people's courage might have been weak, but outside, the city's walls were strong. And so while he was out surveying the challenge that lay before him, checking out Jericho's defenses, all of a sudden he looks up and he sees a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua, I love this, Joshua goes up to him and says, hey, are you for us or against us? <laughs> because I just need to know, right? I mean, if you're for us, that's great, but if, if you're against us, let me just tell you, some bad things are about to happen. But he got a response he was not expecting. Neither came the reply. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And there in the text, it says Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence. And he asked him, what message? What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. You know, the Bible is famous for some surprise encounters. But very few are as mysterious as this one. Was this man flesh and blood? Was he just some spirit or apparition? Was he an angel? Uh, perhaps. But, but I tend to lean toward the idea that the stranger with the sword was actually God himself. You see, there was a reason 
that the ground onto which Joseph or Joshua fell was, was holy. You see, like Moses before him, Joshua was being confronted with a, with a manifestation of the holy I am. Moses was called to deliver God's people from a foreign empire. But Joshua was being called to deliver God's people into a promised inheritance. And neither would accomplish their calling through their own strength and their own ingenuity. And that's why this encounter is so important right here in your Bible. Not just for who the stranger is. It's, it's not that we need to focus on and figure out exactly who is it that's talking to Joshua. But it's all about what the stranger represents. You see, before Joshua and the Hebrews marched against Jericho, they needed to be reminded that that battle and all the ones that were to come, all the battles that they would be facing were spiritual in nature. And they needed to listen to God. They needed to listen to the God of heaven's armies if they were going to be successful. And guys, this is a message right here that we need to remember today. Because the walls surrounding our Jericho will only fall when we are willing to listen to what God has to say to us. You see, if you're in the shadow of Jericho this morning, man, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to place yourself beside Joshua and be willing to receive a message from God. I want you to have the attitude that says, what message does my Lord have for his servant? What message? You see, from the time that Joshua first put on the mantle of leadership, he was reminded of the great importance of listening to the guidance and direction of God. In chapter 1 of his story, Joshua is told not to be afraid about the transition that is taking place. Yes, Moses has died, and, and yes, Joshua, you are now in charge, and, and yes, there are over 2 million people who are looking to you, and yes, there are some big people in this land that you're going to go into, and there are some big walls, but God tells him you're not going to be afraid. You're going to be strong, and you're going to be courageous, and you're going to be the one who will lead these people to possess the land, the land that I've sworn to their ancestors. I mean, no biggie, right? He has to be thinking, how is this ever going to work out? And I don't know, maybe you've asked a similar thing this week. Perhaps you believe that what God is asking of you is too great a task. To follow where he leads is just too costly. Maybe you see the opportunities that are right in front of you, but you see too many opportunities for failure. You know that someone needs to step up. You know that someone needs to say something. You know that someone needs to be there in the community, in your home, in the office, at school, and, and in the church. But what good can you do? There's some big walls in this land. Walls not of stone, but, but walls of apathy and, and walls of greed and, and walls of bitterness and, and walls of anger and uncertainty and, and confusion. And how can this ever work out, Lord? What do you want from me? See, Joshua was told, that his success was dependent on listening to the words of God. Chapter 1 contains what is perhaps my favorite, my favorite Hebrew word, all right? It's a word, dagal, and it's the word that is translated as meditate in verse 8. When the Lord impressed upon Joshua the importance of reading and obey the law of Moses, it's there in chapter 1, verse 8. It says, study the book of instruction continually. Meditate, there's that word, doggone, on it day and night so that you will surely obey everything written in it. Only then, he says, only then will you prosper and succeed with all that you do. 
Understand, here's what the Lord is telling him. Joshua, do you want to succeed at this new task? Do you want to succeed at leading God's people? Do you want to succeed as being the spiritual mentor for all of these who are going to be looking for you? If the answer is yes, the Lord says, then you better open your Bible. And not just read it, but doggone it. Meditate. It's far too tame of a word, really, when it comes to our translation. I mean, meditate seems more suited to what, I don't know, maybe you, you've got some kind of class that you go to and you're supposed to meditate, you know, and maybe some nice soothing music plays and you just kind of sit in the dark and you, you think about meditating and, and going home, home, as you get in lotus position and, and then as you go to the chiropractor after being in lotus position, you meditate and, um, right? Uh, but this word is far more visceral. Now, Isaiah uses the very same word in a totally different way. It's Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 4. And we kind of get a glimpse of what the word truly means. He says, when a strong young lion stands growling, there's the word, doggawing, over a sheep it is killed, it is not frightened by the shouts and noise of a whole crowd of shepherds. He uses this word to describe a lion that's lost in its kill. He's not worried about any approaching danger, the shepherds that are coming, it doesn't matter, because he is completely focused on consuming his prey. Doggaw is all about becoming lost in the moment. Now, I compare this to a meal that I enjoyed here um, over the last week. Uh, family went off on vacation and just spent some time away, and, and I don't know if it's because we were on vacation or if it's because of, I've been trying to eat a little better over the summer, you know, trying to find my, my healthy sweet spot also. But, but we went to a restaurant one night, and, and maybe it was because of all the walking that we had been doing around City Walk there, there in Orlando, but, but all of a sudden, I, I had this meal in front of me. We were having kind of a late a late lunch or an early dinner, a liner or a lupper, whichever one you want to call it. And, and all of a sudden, my, my plate comes, and it was so good, I had to take a picture, right? I mean, I mean, this looked really, this looked really good. Corbin, you got that photo that you can throw up there? Oh, man, doesn't that look good? Oh, anybody want a doggone on that one right there? That is grilled mahi-mahi, mm-hmm, with, with, with some seasoned shrimp that's there, off to the side, and you see that, that volcano mound that it's leaning up against? Mashed potatoes, yes! Mashed potatoes! Man, and grilled fish and, and shrimp, and, and there was a sauce that was there. Now that sauce was pretty good, but I, I stole some sauce that Micah had on his plate and, and mixed them together. Oh, man, it was so good. I savored every bite. I took the picture. I, I embarrassed Tanya and the kids. I was asking them if they wanted some. And I'm like, here, you've really got to try this. I mean, I was making noises. It was so good. Man. And now you look at that picture, and some of you, your mouth is already starting to water. And, and you're thinking about where you're going to go after lunch. And it's like, how much longer is the preacher going to go? Because i got to get to doggone. Man, it's all about getting lost and being consumed by the moment. To dogah means to savor the goodness. Our Hebrew ancestors frequently called on others to become lost in the words of God. Chewing and savoring and, and growling and, and moaning over every word. In the book, Eat This Book, A Conversation in the Art of Spiritual Reading, Eugene H. Peterson writes, Christians feed on Scripture. 
Now I want you to get this picture in your mind, okay? Listen to what he says. Christians feed on Scripture. Holy Scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love and cups of cold water and missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father and feet washed in company with the Son. Mm. Doggone. So for those of you who were in class this morning with, with, with Jeremy, well, for those of you who were there and participating in that, did you doggone a little bit this morning? It, those of you that got up early and spent time in Scripture, those of you, you've got your small group that you're with each week, have you been doggoing? Have you been getting into the Word in such a way that you're not just looking for trivia, and you're not just debating colors and carpet? You're what you're doing. You're getting into it, and you're allowing it to get into you. And you're feeding on it. You're allowing it to metabolize. And so that all of a sudden, your life is changed. And the walls of your Jerichos begin to fall because you're willing to listen to what God has to say. You see, before Joshua and the Israelites faced the difficulties of Canaan, they were to feed on the delicacies of Scripture. And it would be wise for us to do the same. We need to receive and reflect on and respond to God's Word before we go running headlong into the walls of our Jericho. And so before you walk around the walls of anger or bitterness or suspicion or prejudice, then be sure that you have been chewing on 1 John chapter 4, all right? You are from God and have overcome because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. And no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Don't go walking around the walls of your Jericho unless you have been feeding on 1 John chapter 4. And don't try to encircle the walls of guilt and uncertainty and, and shame before you have feasted on Romans chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You were not controlled by your sinful nature. You were controlled by the spirit, the spirit of God, who raised Jesus up from the dead and lives in you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So what shall we say about these wonderful things? If God is for us, then who can ever be against us? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen as his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? That doesn't mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or if we're hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God 
Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, before you start going and doing battle against your Jericho, before you walk around the walls, you better go and feast in Romans chapter 8. Man, that's good stuff. Nobody wanted to wahoo on that? I mean, man, that is so good. Oh. God told Joshua to study continually, to meditate, to talk all day and night. He did not command Joshua to seek a spiritual experience or pursue a, a personal revelation. He told Joshua to open up his Bible. And so you want to find your, your sweet spot? Then think and rethink about God's word. Friends, dust off your Bible. Let it be your guide. Let it be your go-to for direction and authority. Don't chart your course according to the opinions of people or suggestions of some social media influencer or some poll that you've seen. If you do, you're going to make the same mistake as the farmer's son made. The farmer sent his son out and asked him to prepare the field and reminded him as he went to till straight lines. And he said, look, I want you to select an object on the far side of the field and you focus on that object and you plow straight at it. But later the father came out to check the boy's progress and there wasn't a straight furrow to be found. I mean, every row was uneven and wavy. And he goes to his son and he said, I thought I told you. I thought I told you to find an object on the far side and to focus on it and plow toward it. And the boy said, I did, but the rabbit just kept hopping. <laughs> Guys, lose yourself in the word of God. And do not allow all the outside noise of life to distract you from the blessing of hearing God speak. Set your sights on the unchanging principles of God. And when you do, great rewards will come. God told Joshua there in chapter 1 and verse 8 that prosperity and success were the result of listening to and heeding the word of the Lord. Now look, now while the Bible occasionally connects the idea of prosperity with money, far more often the reward refers to a wealthy spirit and a wealthy mind and a, a wealthy body. God prospers the leader with new skills, the worker with good sleep, the teacher with added patience. The mother receives a deeper affection. The, the elderly have a greater hope. You see, the child of God who listens intently to the word of God succeeds at overcoming anxiety and fear and negativity and selfishness and doubt. Guys, God wants us to experience the prosperity and success, the joy and the rest that is life with him. But that means that Scripture is going to have to be consumed by our soul and not just carried around in our pocket. What message does my Lord have for his servant? Well, why don't we wrap this up? Our time's getting away. You know, I believe the walls of Jericho began to crack long before the Hebrews ever took off and long before they ever finished their marching. I think Jericho's defenses began to weaken the night Joshua realized that he was on holy ground and simply, as the scripture says, did as he was told. I mean, could it be that simple? 
Could, could it be that simple? Could it, could it be that the walls separating you from living in the sweet spot with God, can, you, can it be that those walls begin to fall if, if you would just be willing to do what God has told you to do? Repent like God has told you? Share like God has told you? Be baptized like God has told you? If you would just forgive like God has told you, if you would just accept like God has told you, love like God has told you, what if you were to submit just as God has told you? Humble yourself just as God has told you. What if you were to speak as God has told you to speak? Care as God has told you to care? What if you were to hope as God has has told you to hope? What, what if you were to believe as God has told you to believe? You know what I think would happen? I, I, I think that your sweet spot would start to look a little bit like this. You, you know, I've had a bat with me all, all, all summer, right? And, 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 and that bat, I mean, some of you have, some of you have used, I mean, some of you have used one of these bats before, right? I mean, some of you played baseball, you played softball and different things, and, and you've had to use one of these, but, but these are difficult, right? These are difficult to use, and, and some of you, as we've been talking, you've been thinking about, man, I've been swinging that bat all my life, and I have never made contact, and Chris, how can I live in the sweet spot? Guys, I'm not talking about this bat. No, I'm talking about this bat. Yeah. This is living in the sweet spot with God when all of a sudden the bat is, the bat's oversized and, and, and the ball, man, it just begins to grow and it looks bigger and bigger and you think, wow, man, I can do this, right? I mean, think about it when you were a kid. I mean, what, what, what little kid walked up to this and was like, no, nope, can't do it. Sorry. No, no, right? That didn't happen. Man, you gave the little one the bat Man, and they walked up to this, and, and, and what did they do? Man, they, they put this thing back, and I know the front row is already ducking right here, okay? I want you to know, the front row, you, you guys have been here all 11 years with me, haven't you? Yeah, you, you have been. That's right, here. I, I need to be able, I don't, don't want to be encumbered by anything, because we live in the sweet spot with God. There, there's nothing that holds you back. I mean, I mean you, you just get to, guys, do you live this life yet? Is this the life that you have with God where you understand that, you know what, I can't miss? That you understand when you walk into the classroom this fall that no temptation is going to be too strong to tear you down because of the God that lives inside of you. You understand that as you go into your marriage that you have a relationship with God first and a relationship with your spouse second and that that relationship with God is going to, to help hold up the marriage that you have with your spouse and strengthen it and make it something special. You're like, I can't, man, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. That, that, that you, you go out into our community and you see needs and you meet them and you go into that need and you say, you know what, I know I'm going to be able to do something to bring this person closer to a life-changing relationship with God because the Spirit of God is living within me. And this is going to be great. This is the sweet spot life that God offers. And so get up to the plate. See your Jericho. Claim your victory. You're on holy ground. Woo! He was ready. Yeah. Guess what? The people around you, 
they have no idea what awaits them when you realize your sweet spot. Let's stand together. Let's stand together and let's sing about the holy ground that we are part of.